Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Please be seated. It's a little tough to summarize the crucifixion and passion of our Lord in just a few moments. I think it's good to begin with when we talk about Jesus' crucifixion, that crucifixion was not just about death. That crucifixion was a public disgrace. It was a way that the Romans shamed criminals. But the religious traditions generally do not embrace humiliation as a virtue. Even if you read the psalmist and and the ways in which the psalmist raises concerns about being humiliated uh, against others. But Paul describes this descent into humiliation and disgrace as a sign of God's glory and mercy. Ben Myers says that Jesus' followers were the first humans to claim humility as a virtue. The culture around them shunned humility. In fact, in the Roman culture, it was about gaining honor as your chief end. Myers writes, the virtue of humility is taken for granted. We no longer feel the original scandal of the gospel. We are no longer offended by Jesus' shame. But it was his shameful death that passed judgment on the world's moral order and laid bare a new order of righteousness, that up has become down, down has become up. In Jesus, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones, lifted up the lonely. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It's difficult in a few short moments to describe what the crucifixion of Jesus means because even Scripture and the tradition is not of one voice. In the Eastern Church, the Orthodox Church, when Jesus is shown crucified, Jesus is always shown as peaceful, calm, almost happy, because Jesus is fulfilling the will of the Father. The Western Church has tended to portray Jesus' crucifixion as a sorrowful event, one of pain and anger, and Jesus is portrayed in anguish. Think about the different things that Scripture says about death. Through his shameful death, Jesus attains the highest honor, as Paul writes in the Philippians. First Corinthians, he says, by succumbing to mortality, he has made the human nature immortal. His death is the world's life, Paul says. It is the darkness that illuminates the judgment that does not condemn according to John's gospel. It is a defeat in Mark's gospel that ushers in God's sovereign reign. And it's a termination that inaugurates a new epic in history in Luke and Acts. And in Matthew, Jesus' crucifixion is a fulfillment that totally surpasses what was promised. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus' crucifixion is a sacrifice that dissolves the entire sacrificial system And in Revelation, it is portrayed as a violent catastrophe that triumphs over the violence of human 
history. The world has some wonderful religions, and it is great to learn about them, to learn and see the beauty that can be found in other people's belief systems. Maybe you are one who has tried out various religions, or maybe you're like me, and at times you just tried not being religious at all. But one of the reasons that I have returned to Christianity is, is that no other religion or philosophy explains so well the terrible tendencies of humanity while giving us a great hope for its redemption. We know about humanity's terrible tendencies. You only have to turn to the news to see our work at work. You and I bear the scars of this terrible tendency, but the harm that we have done to ourselves, the harm that we have done to others, by our greed and our violence, by being vengeful, prejudiced, cruel, and dismissive. Now, few of us are terrible people, but we aren't perfect. As Paul says, all have fallen short and sinned. It's not judgmental to say this, it's just naming reality. And it's a universal state. I am no more or less sinful than you are. Several of the world's religions and philosophies are reflected on this and wondered about it. But Christianity's version of it, in a very general sense, is that something went wrong. It's something that we were born into. Something that inevitably we've been distorted by, a broken system. It's not your fault or my fault, nor our parents' or our grandparents' fault, nor anyone's. It's just the human condition, and it's not a condition that we can fix on our own. I have tried countless numbers of time to try to do it on my own, but as somebody who has studied the 12-step programs, you know that the heart of the 12-step program is realizing that we are powerless to this thing that we call sin, and we need something greater than ourselves to redeem and save us. Fleming Rutledge reflects on this by saying, from the beginning to end, the Holy Scriptures testify to the predicament of fallen humanity is so serious, so grave, so irredeemable from within that nothing short of divine intervention can rectify it. And that's the other part of this. It's why I'm convinced by Christianity. It is honest about the human condition, but it doesn't mean that things are hopeless. At the heart of the Christian story is the story of Jesus, who is God's intervention into our salvation. No human being could break what was broken. Only divine intervention could do it. But what was broken is humanity, and so the divine one had to become human. It's what Christians mean when we talk about the incarnation, that in Jesus, God became flesh. Sometimes we often talk about Jesus as the one who died for us, but it's important not only that he died for us, but how he died. The cross was a horrible, painful way to die. I don't, see it, I don't say this to be gory or to somehow try to make you feel guilty. I just draw you to the attention of the fact that the death that Jesus suffered on the cross was a painful one. It was a shameful, lonely, 
long, public way of dying. But human sinfulness is also horrible. And yet we are very talented, or at least I am, at justifying, mitigating it, or ignoring it. And the crucifixion becomes good news because it is the purest statement that God can make possible about God's intention to bring about justice and mercy. So whatever injustice you have suffered, whenever you have been the one who has cried out for justice, whenever you are the one who has cried out for mercy, know that the cross of Christ is God's answer to these pleas for help, then and now. Now, while the crucifixion happened a long time ago, the crucifixion and the resurrection have eternal consequences. The Christ that we follow is the one who has already endured the worst of the human beings can do and loves us anyway. God the Father, whom we adore and worship, is the one who responded to the slaughter of his son by raising him and glorifying him and returning him to us. In the cross, the Lord testifies to the lengths in which he will go to rescue us from our destruction. It is horrifying to hear the Passion Gospels as we did this morning and we will again on Good Friday. But then it's always horrific to think about and reflect upon the ways that human beings do things that can be so wrong. So it's important that you hear the good news that next Sunday when we gather back in this space that we hear that there is nothing that separates us from the love of God. That the worst that we did to to, to God, God responds by giving life back to us. Rowan Williams in reflecting upon Jesus' death and resurrection says here is a divine love that cannot be defeated by violence. We do our worst and still we fail to put God off. And that's the good news. The good news of our powerlessness to change God's mind. Which is just as well because God's mind is focused upon us and our mercy and us having life. God will always survive our sin and our failure. God is never exhausted by what we do. God is always capable of remaking the relationships that we break again and again. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.